left fielders. Welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Our community is focused on networking and education to help people invest passively and think differently. Let's go. As I got deeper into investing, I realized that this is so much bigger than just trying to get dollars, right? And because what are we doing when we invest in real estate, especially in housing, we're providing a basic necessity of life for people. Since you are here listening to this podcast, there's a good chance you're investing with a group of people. Whether you're investing with family or friends or like-minded people in the left field investors community, group investing is a strategy that can get you into more deals, help you diversify, and go beyond what you can achieve by yourself. Before TribeVest came along, it was difficult to overcome all the hurdles associated with group investing. It was basically a strategy reserved for the wealthy, not anymore. Now, TribeVest helps your group with everything from incorporation, collaboration, banking, and equity management tools all in a single place. So you can focus on building wealth with the people you know, like, and trust. I'm using TribeVest for all five, now six, of my investor tribes. It's a game changer. Check them out at TribeVest.com. You are listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast, powered by TribeVest. The mission of Left Field Investors is to build a community of like-minded individuals interested in creating financial freedom through passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. In this podcast, Jim Piper will interview passive investors, syndicators, and others who will share their journey with a focus on helping the passive real estate investor learn and become part of the Left Field community. This is Ryan Murdoch from Open Door Capital, and you are listening to Passive Investing from Left Field. I'm very pleased today to have Camilla Jeffs with me. She is the founder and CEO of Steady Stream Investments, an education company teaching people how to add passive income streams to their lives via apartment investing. She's also a general partner in over 1,000 multifamily units and a 65-bed assisted living community. Camilla, welcome to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. Thanks so much, Jim. I'm excited to spend this time with you. I am too. And the way we usually start is if you could just give your kind of your financial journey, where you started, how you got into real estate, how you ditched the W-2 and, and became a syndicator. If you can kind of give us your story, we'd, we'd love to start that way. Yeah. So I started quite young. I was 22 when I got my first investment property and I was married and we were both working on our bachelor's degree and living in a garage apartment because that's all we could afford. So we were young, <laughs> married and poor. And so we were, you know, the landlady came around and she was asking, you know, to collect the rent. And I just asked her, I said, I know you have lots of rentals. How did you do that? How did you get there? And, you know, she kind of told me about her journey. And, and then she said, well, you know, you should really buy a house. And I was like, no, 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 you don't. Do you realize I'm living in your garage apartment? <laughs> like we have no money. <laughs> we can't buy a house. She said, well, wait, wait, listen, you could buy a house that has a basement apartment in it. And then you rent out the basement and then you could live there for cheap or free. And I was like, really, you could do that? She said, oh, yeah. And so then that's exactly what we did. We bought, we went from living in a garage apartment to a six bedroom home with a pool in the backyard, which was totally awesome. Like exciting. Yeah. And we only paid $150 a month to live there. 
So that was really amazing. And that's really got me, you know, excited about real estate. And then I started reading books, every book that I could find on the topic, started really diving into how to build a real estate portfolio. And one book in particular that we decided to follow, the strategy was the, I think it's called One House at a Time. And that one's like the strategy is basically you buy a house every two years, you live in it for two years, and then you move out and then you rent it for three because you avoid taxes if you do that, right? And then you sell it at year five. So that's how we started doing it. So every two years we'd buy and we'd, we'd usually buy a fixer upper to be able to add value to it as well. So we'd buy the fixer upper and we'd go in and we'd fix them up and then we'd move out and rent them. And we acquired many properties that way. Well, fast forward, you know, 15 years and we had acquired several single family homes and a, and a fourplex. I had launched my own property management company and, you know, have my W-2. And I'm just like, man, this is a lot of work. <laughs> I just, I just hitting the burnout point that just, you know, this is just a lot. And, you know, I wanted to continue to invest in real estate, but I had capped out. I had tapped out on my time because we'd use all of our time, all of our muscles, all of our own money to invest in real estate for that whole time. And so I'm thinking about, well, what's, what can we do that's different? You know, that doesn't require so much time and effort. And I knew about apartment investing, but not very much. And so I started looking into investing in apartments because I thought, well, maybe if we bought an apartment complex, instead of having all these single families, that would be better quickly realized that apartment complexes cost millions of dollars and we did not have millions of dollars in our bank account. And it went, oh, okay, I guess we can't do that because I had very small thinking at the time, you know, but then realized as I looked more into apartments, realized actually it's group investing. Very few people buy an apartment complex on their own. Most people join a group. And so then I was looking at the group investing and realized that I could invest my money and come in as a passive investor. And the returns that they were projecting were actually better than some of the returns I got on some of my single family homes. And I was like, are you kidding me? Really? <laughs> I can invest my money over here in this group investment and earn better returns. And I don't have to do any of the work. Okay, sign me up. I'm ready. And so that's what I did. You know, it wasn't that easy. I definitely had to do some work to find the right property and right team and, you know, and to feel comfortable doing it because I was giving up the control. But that's exactly what I did. And then I got so excited and passionate about passive investing that I launched Steady Stream Investments and said, okay, I, other people like me really need to know about this strategy. I wish I had known about it way earlier so I could have participated much earlier but that's okay. Everybody's journey happens for a reason. And so that's what I do today is I educate others. And then I did recently leave my W-2 in October of last year. And so that was very exciting to now just be a full-time investor. That's fantastic. You know, I, I love hearing that that journey. So everyone's journey is a little bit different, but it, a lot of us seem to start, well, single family homes, then mm -hmm. multifamily, maybe small multis, and then oh, there's this passive investing thing, syndications, and that's where you know it really takes off, I think. At least it did for me, and it sounds like it did for you as well. When you talk about your W-2, how did you get to the point that you made that optional or obsolete, really? How did you prepare financially and mentally? And then how did you tell your employer? Was that a big deal or was it just kind of like, hey, I'm leaving, see you later? <laughs> yeah, well, it's always a big deal for me. <laughs> so 
So, you know, it's funny because in my job, it was a good job. You know, I, I worked in HR supporting tech companies and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with software developers and data scientists and and that whole tech scene was fun. But as my business as SteadyStream Investments started growing, I just realized, you know, working for this corporation is not going to make me a million dollars. And, you know, the only way that I can earn more income is move up the corporate ladder in this place. But what does that mean when you move up the corporate ladder? Well, yes, more income, but also more responsibility, more stress, more time. You know, so I was trying to to think to myself, am I willing to trade my time for more money? And I was like, no, I just don't. I just, that's not the way I want to live my life. And then also I was approaching a time in my life when most of my children, I have five children, and most of them are teenagers. And I have very few years left with them. And so I was thinking, I really got to do something to get my time freedom back. And that was the whole motivating factor. And that's the thing that still motivates me to this day to continue to maintain this time freedom. So I can go attend the all day, you know, tennis tournaments. I can take my children on a humanitarian trip for three weeks at a time in a, in a foreign country, which th- are things I just couldn't really do in my corporate job. So that was really important. And then you asked about the transition. Well, I, you know, I stressed about it for a long time. Like, well, when should I tell my boss and looking at the projects that I had coming up, you know, what are the big things like trying to find a lull in time, but you know, there's never a lull. (laughs) There's never a good time to say, yeah, I'm going to exit. And so finally I just got to the point where I knew I just needed to go for it. And so I set the appointment with my boss and I told her that, hey, I, you know, I've been doing real estate and it's going well and I just need to exit right now. And and she was supportive and, and said, you know, I want you to follow your passion and if that's your passion, go for it. And so, so that was good. And then, you know, but then the transition is, it was a little bit rocky because you go from having like back-to-back meetings on your calendar and being needed all the time and people pinging you like, hey, Camille, I need you to do this. I need you to do that to white space and no noise and nobody needs you for anything. (laughs) And you're like, okay, so now what do I do with my time? And what do I do with my calendar? And it's a bit jarring to go through that transition and be fully on your own. It sounds like it's just so amazing and so cool. But when you're super high productive person, and all of a sudden, you have nothing on your calendar, it's like, uh, what do I do? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you handle the the financial part of it? Did you have enough passive income from the investments that you'd made to cover your salary? Or did you know that, hey, the snow, I, I started a little snowball and I'm going to push it down the hill and I'm going to kind of run alongside of it and hope it keeps growing? Which way did you go and, and how did you kind of evaluate that situation? Yeah. So for me, I, so I'm super conservative. Remember, I have a big family. We got a lot of expenses. (laughs) And so I was evaluating this and I told myself, okay, Camilla, if you can replace 70% of your corporate salary, then that will be the time when you can exit, right? Because basically you've proven to yourself that you can do it. And then you can continue the momentum, right? Because this is a momentum game. You know, investing is definitely a momentum and so I told myself, you know, that 70% was my number. And once I hit that, that's what gave me the confidence to feel like I could do it. And then, you know, having money also in the bank account. So I had at least a year's worth of savings 
just sitting in my bank account, right? And people will argue that that's a really bad move. And why you're an investor, Camilla, why would you just have money in a bank account? Well, I need that for my peace of mind, right? And that gives me the peace of mind to feel like I can, you know, just go for it, right? And there's always, you know, if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to my job if I need to, you know, but I'm committed to making it work. And so that was how I felt comfortable and safe leaving from a financial standpoint. And why did you pick 70%? Is that because you, you're not going to pay as much tax or was it just you wanted to get close, but you, you didn't need to replace 100%? Were you downsizing your lifestyle or were you just kind of doing some calculations on the back? No, no, not downsizing the lifestyle. 70%, just 50% felt too, like too precarious, right? So I just wanted to be on the healthy side of above 50%, but I didn't want to go all the way because I knew that I didn't need to. I didn't need to go all the way to 100% to be able to step fully into this. And when people look at real estate investors, right, they look at it, as, oh, it's, it's an alternative investment, which means it's super risky. And other people look at the W-2 as it's one income stream, it's super risky. So where, where do you come down on that? I can guess, well, but I'd like I, to hear it. <laughs> I told you that I'm, I work in HR, right? So one of the unpleasant tasks in HR is layoffs, right? We get to tell people that their jobs have been lost. And I can't tell you how many times I've had grown men crying in my office because their job was suddenly eliminated and they were the sole income earner for their family. And they had not put in place, you know, financial measures, right? That, like it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking to tell someone that you have, that your job's done, you know? And in that company at the time, we would walk them out immediately, right away. There was no like two weeks or a month or transition or whatever. It was, hey, come see me in my office. You're done, out the door, you know, kick them out. It's brutal. And that was a situation I never wanted to be in myself. And that's where I, I think I think one stream of income is definitely more risky than investing in real estate. And I mean, I even named my company Steady Stream Investments because I want to create steady streams of income for thousands of other people. And that's my goal with my investing business right now is to help other people get in passively and create their own streams of income. So, you know, let's talk about what are the risks of real estate, right? And it's funny that it's called alternative investment. I'll tell you a story. I, I had a financial advisor, right? So we had been investing in real estate, but we also, you know, did what our parents told us to do, go see a financial advisor and, you know, they're going to set you up and get you and do your 401k and all you know, all the things, right? So we're doing all the things that worked really well for my parents, does not work so well for us, right? Like it's, we live in a different time and era. I, I can't rely on social security. I, you know, the 401k is not what it's all cracked up to be. So my financial advisor, you know, we hit an income threshold where we could no longer contribute to Roth IRAs, right? And so I'm like looking at my financial advisor saying, well, now what? You know, what do we do now? And he's like, well, he's like, I mean, you could like open just a regular brokerage account and just invest in the stock market or, you know, but I don't know, you're probably better off just doing real estate. <laughs> I said, well, do you have any like guidance on that? He's like, no, no, no. Right. So here's the problem. The problem is that everybody's been told, go see a financial advisor, but financial advisors 
don't know anything about investing in real estate. The only thing they know is investing in stocks, right? So of course, they're going to tell you that that's risky and that that's, you know, because they don't know anything about it. They're not comfortable with it. It's not a strategy that they know. And so the craziest thing about it is that real estate always goes up in value, like over time. So we think about over time, even during there's crashes, right? So yeah, 0809 real estate crashed. Well, single family crashed, right? <laughs> like yeah. Single family crashed hard. And in places like Phoenix, for example, it took over 10 years to recover the equity. But guess what? The equity's recovered. And now, what is it worth now, right? 10 years later after that, it's worth double, triple, quadruple, whatever you know you had bought it for in, in 08, if you had bought one. So that's the really interesting thing about real estate is that, you know, I think the stock market is just so volatile and up and down and all around. Like, I just, I can't even, it makes me crazy. It makes me feel like I'm on a roller coaster ride and I don't always like roller coaster rides. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. yeah. Hey, left fielders, this is Julian McClurkin. When I'm not on the court with the Harlem Globetrotters, I'm the chief storyteller for Tribe Vest. Now, you might be thinking, why would Tribe Vest hire a Globetrotter? <laughs> well, through my travels around the world, I've met so many amazing people and heard their incredible stories. And it's no different at Tribe Vest. My job is to share the stories of people investing together as a group, as a tribe. TribeVest allows groups to pool their capital, set up their LLCs and bank accounts, help with operating agreements, funding rounds, and so much more. Whether you're investing with other dads from your kid's preschool class or getting into real estate syndications with people around the country like LFI infielder Brian Pawnell, TribeVest helps them all make it happen. If you want to hear more about stories about TribeVest's customers, just check out TribeVest's YouTube channel. And if you're already ready to start investing as a group, head on over to TribeVest.com today. You know, as a former financial advisor, I think you nailed it there. The reason why I, I got out of being a financial advisor was because I was getting into real estate. And as you said, my clients would come to me and I'd say, yeah, put paper assets, paper assets, because that's all I had. And it wasn't, I was already doing real estate. So unlike most financial advisors, I understood real estate, but I couldn't recommend it because I'm not licensed for that, number one. Yeah. Number two, I wouldn't get paid, right? There's no way to get paid that way. Yep. So there's no incentive for advisors to learn about that. So I always recommend to people, you have to use your network, use your community because financial advisors can still be helpful, but you have to find some that understand that you're in real estate, are willing to maybe incorporate your real estate in the plan and understand what you're doing, but you know they're not going to help you with it or recommend necessarily. And so that's why I use my community to find experts like that, like a financial advisor who would help on that. So your company seems to focus on education a lot, and that is not typical for a syndication or sponsor, right? I mean, yeah, they all have some education, but I mean, it, it's right there in the overall description of your company, an education company, right? So why the focus on education? Why do you call yourself an education company? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's so unique. And, you know, obviously our, our whole community is, is here, left field investors for education. So we're all in, we love it. But I just want to understand kind of the philosophy there. 
Yeah, well, so the philosophy is, as I thought about my own journey and as I was going through, just the fact that I didn't know that this was even an option for 15 years, right? So 15 years into my journey, I had no clue that this was an option. And I think that's because of lack of education. There's just not enough education resources out there. So my goal really is just to educate thousands and thousands of investors with the hope that they will take action on that education, right? And so that's really where I come from. And so I spend a lot of time just working really hard on simplifying complex topics so that everybody can understand. And I mean, case in point, I don't even like to use the term syndication because the first time I heard the term syndication, and remember, I've been an investor for 15 years. I felt stupid. I felt like, oh, what is that? I have no idea what that means. And then, you know, right. Google didn't have a very good answer either. <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> I don't even get it. You know, so I don't want other people to feel like that investing is so overwhelming and so hard, right? Because I think that's a lot of people's perception. And that's why they use financial advisors. They're like, oh, I just can't figure this out on my own. So I'm just going to go, you know, they're going to tell me what to do and I'll just do it. You know, and that's the wrong approach. You need to take control of your finances because who cares the most about your finances? You, right? It's not your financial advisor. It's not your mother. It's not your kids. It's you. And you are the one that needs to take control of your destiny. And so that comes through education. So you have to take it upon yourself to educate and to learn. And I did this early on in my marriage too. I decided that, you know, I'm going to become the CFO of my family. And you need to be the CFO of your own life too. And so I read books on investing in stocks and I read books on investing in real estate and I and eventually decided that I like the tangible stuff. I like to be able to see it and touch it and feel it. And it's just much easier for my brain to even understand than investing in the stock market. And so that's the path that I went. But yeah, education, I'm very pro-education. I think educated people can make better decisions. And if you have the education to make that better decision, your life is going to be so much better. And so you said you have five kids. How are you teaching them about finance? Because I'm always curious about that. I feel like I haven't done a great job with my kids other than, you know, maybe they get some from osmosis hearing me talk or whatever. But how do you teach your kids about finance, given that everything they're seeing, even though they're younger, right, they're still seeing the same stuff that's on TV and in the mm -hmm. radio or wherever, TikTok or whatever, it's all financial <laughs> advising stuff, right? Maybe not TikTok. But so how do you how do you kind of educate them on finance and what you're doing? Yeah, well, so I've been very intentional about that to you know, through all of their years growing up. So in their younger years, when they turned to age of five, they were invited to invest in the family bank. And so we created a family bank where that paid 10% interest per month. Wow. <laughs> Wouldn't you like that kind of investment, right? No, we did that on purpose. I know that's super inflated, but we did that on purpose because kids don't, you know, they needed to have something inflated to, for it to be meaningful to them because they were only investing a dollar at a time. So they invest a dollar and now all of a sudden their dollar turns into a dollar 10, you know, and in 10 months time, it's like $2. So it was important for them to learn about investing. And so as they earned money, then we taught them about giving, investing and saving and then spending too, right? So all of those things. So we were really intentional in the early years. When they turned 12, they got kicked out of the family bank because I couldn't <laughs> afford to pay that interest anymore because now they had hundreds of dollars in there. 
and they went to a regular bank. And so now we're learning about how regular banks work, how to use a debit card, how to check your balance and how to put, you know, transfer money to savings and things like that. And then we also started learning about budgeting. So we would give the kids a yearly clothing budget where we would deposit a certain amount of money into their account on in August, and then they would have to use that to buy their clothes for the rest of the year. So they'd learn about budgeting. Then as they got older and into their teenage years, we started really including them in our real estate. So we still continue to do that strategy to this day where we buy a fixer-upper house and we move in and we fix it and we move out. And during COVID, COVID struck and we were in the middle of a remodel and it was like a blessing in disguise because we couldn't go anywhere, right? You couldn't leave the house. I was the only one allowed to leave the house in our city to go get groceries and everybody else had to stay in the house. And so we had this big project that the kids could work on. And so we just threw ourselves into it. We did a full gut rehab of the property. And then when we sold it, we made really good money. And so we used a tax strategy that's called income shifting, where you shift income to your children. You can do $12,000 per child, well, depending on what year it is, but it might change every year. But that's what we could do at the time. And so we did that. We shifted about $60,000 to our children. And that's a lot of money, right? That's a lot of money for a kid to get $12,000. But they worked for it. They absolutely worked for it. And so with this money, we told them, we said, okay, you know, of course, you have to give first, right? We give 10%. And then about 2000 of it you can use to buy something fun for you. And the other 10000 we're going to keep in, in your account until we buy our next investment. And then we're all going to go in together on a short-term rental that's going to be like a cabin, one that we can use as a family, but also we'll rent out and make money on. And that's what we did. So now my kids are passive investors <laughs> into a short-term rental and they earn passive income. And you know what's so funny about this, Jim, is that my daughter came home the other day. She's 17. And she said that her friend's dad was asking her if she has a job. And she's like, no, I, I don't have a job. And he said, oh, oh, do your parents just give you money? And she's like, no. She's like, I own real estate. <laughs> That's great. And he was like, she owns real what? estate and has <laughs> passive income. Right. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That's so great. I, I think it's really neat how you were consistent, right? Because we did some things as the kids were little, you know, we had three jars, a giving jar, saving jar, spending jar, and then, you know, life happens, right? Yeah. And so I just really admire and respect the fact that you kept doing it until teenage years. And now they're, they own real estate. And, you know, I'm constantly thinking about ways to help my kids kind of take that jump. And, and I have some plans there maybe to, after they graduate college, invest in a syndication on their behalf and let them own mm -hmm. it and see how that goes. I think there's a lot of ways, but you know, it's important for people like us to share this knowledge with our kids so they don't just get caught in the Wall Street vortex that kind of, you know, was the first 30 years of my employable career, right? Yep, exactly. Um, so you do talk about giving. And so I want to talk about the, the purposeful investing and the impact investing. And you talk about three types of returns, financial, environmental, and social. What does mm -hmm. that mean, three types of returns? And is that what you're looking for when you're a GP on the deal? You're trying to provide three types of returns to investors? Yeah. So as I got deeper into investing, I realized that this is so much bigger than just trying to get dollars, right? And because what are we doing when we invest in real estate, especially in housing, we're providing a basic necessity of life 
for people. And I don't take that lightly. It's an honorable way to not only increase your own income and help other people to increase their income, but also to build a community and make that community safer, more pleasant to live there and with better neighbors and things like that. So kicking out all the criminals and and you know, people drive up to flowers instead of garbage. Like That's important because that's where they live and they build their memories in their lives. And so I really wanted to make sure that we were thinking about more than just dollars in whenever we invest. And so what kind of impact can we create? And I love that real estate can provide three different kinds of impact, right? So it provides the financial impact that will impact every family that chooses to invest passively. It will help you to increase your own wealth and income and and create generational wealth and all those things that are amazing for families. And then it creates social impact, right? By building the communities, right? Partnering with nonprofits to you know, set aside maybe one apartment for disabled veterans or for women in transition and things like that. And so we actively look for nonprofit partners to do that with. And then environmentally, if you think about our environmental footprint, so we're buying some of the kind of older buildings and a lot of them are wasting a lot of water. They're wasting a lot of energy. And so we'll go in and we'll put in low flow toilets and faucets and things to really reduce that water consumption. We'll go in and do all the energy efficiencies that we can do to really reduce our carbon footprint that's happening. And, and doing this, you know, one apartment unit at a time just can really create some nice impact. And so that's what we are looking to do in every deal that I join as a general partner. And So how do the social and environmental part of that, how does that affect the financial part, right? Because I can see like if you're doing the water and stuff, that probably flows to your bottom line and increases the value of the property. But if you're giving away, you know, an apartment to somebody, I think that's fantastic, but that, that affects the financial. So I'm just curious how you square that. Yeah. So if we think about the social, so what we're doing is we're going into these apartments and we're kicking out the criminals and we're putting in a better quality tenant, right? So we're creating a much better quality of life for all the tenants that are there. And they're usually paying a little bit more in rent than they would be in a dilapidated, nasty place, right? And so it just completely offsets, right? So our income does increase and our expenses decrease by building community. And then also with the environmental stuff, yeah, you're right. Like that's directly to the bottom line there with the reducing the expenses on the property. And the cool thing about apartments that I love investing in apartments is that anything you do to increase that income or decrease that expenses just makes the value of that building so much bigger. It's, you know, not like single family where it's just whatever Susie sold her house for down the street, right? That's what yours is now worth. We can really control the value of the building. And then I believe in karma, right? Like, so if we are setting aside a apartment unit, you know, and we are doing our best to help those in need, we get helped in return. Yeah, I I think that, I think that's, that's fantastic. That's a great way to look at things. Now, earlier you had talked about the importance in group investing which is, I think, what you call syndication investing, which I really like, the importance of finding the right team yeah, and finding the right deal. So can you talk about everyone, wants, how do I find a sponsor? How do I find quality sponsors? What are some of the things you look for 
when you're looking for the right team, both as a passive investor and then also as a co-GP? Yes. So one of the most important things is track record. So I want to know, have you done this before? And how many times have you done it? And when are the times that it did not go well? So that's one of the, my favorite questions to ask a you know, potential uh, general partnership team is tell me about a time that things did not go well and what did you do about it? Because and I'll tell you, if somebody says, well, I haven't really had any trouble, you run, right? <laughs> like Just run <laughs> right. away from them because that tells you right away that they're not experienced enough because all of us who are experienced, who have been in the industry for a long time have had trouble, right? We've lived through challenging times. And you want to find the people who have lived through those challenging times and who did not give up, who kept going, who still made profit for their investors, even though there was a challenging economic time, especially right now, right? Like we're in this kind of weirdness. We've been in weirdness for a couple of years now, I guess. And it's just getting weirder <laughs> as, as life keeps going. And so, you know, just look for that. Look for people who, who really have a handle on what they're doing. So that's important to me. Another thing that's important to me is communication. So are they excellent communicators? Are they going to keep you informed? Are they going to be transparent about what's going on? Or are they going to hide it and be like, oh, well, you know, we had a fire, but don't tell our investors, you know, like, no, but you need to just let everybody know we had this challenge. Uh, we had a challenge in one of our new construction ones where there was a spotted owl, which is a protected species, I guess, nested in one of the trees in that we were trying to clear and they shut us down for months. Like we could not, we could not do anything for months. So are we going to hide that from our investors or are we going to tell them exactly what happened? And now we're, we have a delayed timeline because the owl needs to have babies. <laughs> so, oh, you know, so there's things like that. And then you also asked, how do you find them? That's a good question. It's not a good thing to Google. <laughs> the best way to find them is to listen to podcasts like this, right? Listen to podcasts because we are on, you know, we get on podcasts and because we want to find you as well, right? We're trying to find you. You're trying to find us. We all need to meet together and podcast is a great way to do it. The way I found my first sponsor was by attending a meetup. So I did Google like multifamily meetup in my area and I found a couple of meetups and I went to them and just started getting to know people and eventually you know, got to know this one who had a deal and then, you know, took a look at it and took the leap and, and did my first investment. So those are some ways that you can find good sponsors and good sponsors will have good deals, right? Like, I don't think you need to worry as much about the market or the actual deal itself. You know, a team will make or break a deal. And so that's the most important. And then I would say, you know, you can dig into the numbers and things like that, but you got to trust the team. Yeah, no, that, that's great advice. And then this is a little bit off of the multifamily topic, but you know, you have a 65 bed assisted living community on your list of mm -hmm. investments. Can you tell us about that? Because that's something that I'm interested in, but you don't find a whole lot of syndication or group investing options for that. Talk a little bit about that asset. Yeah. So assisted living and senior housing in general is a really great asset, but assisted living is one where you actually have, it's a real estate transaction, but also a healthcare company on top of it, because we do have doctors and nurses who are there assisting and, and helping the residents. So it brings in a little bit more uh, a risk factor in that there are those two elements at play and you have to get them both right for the investment to go well. But 
if you really study what's happening in the market, you know, by 2030, there will be like several million, I can't remember the numbers, but many, many more million people who are 85 plus and 85 because the boomers are aging, right? So the baby boomer generation is aging and they are soon going to be in a situation where they need a lot more help. So we are actually building a assisted living. Now we chose to go with a more niche boutique style rather than build like a giant hospital type complex. We're building smaller homes. Well, they're big homes. They're like 10 to 15 bedroom homes, but they are actual homes that have a you know kitchen and have a library and have a you know dining area and and then the homes and the bedrooms for the residents. And so it feels a lot more like homes and you can put your mom, so when mom has to leave her own home, which is a hard transition, it's a really hard transition for when your parents need more help and they have to move out of their comfort zone and, and where they've lived their whole lives because a lot of them live in the same place their whole lives, right? We don't do that, but that generation right. sure, sure did. And so it's really interesting. It's really fun to you know work on that project. And we also have one of the homes set aside for memory care because Alzheimer's is a disease that just keeps growing and growing and growing the number of people who have it. And, you know, one of my grandmas suffered from Alzheimer's and it was a really hard thing to go through with her and, and watching, you know, parents take care of her. And, and so it's just nice to be able to provide that type of, you know, investment for other people and then to provide a need for the, the community as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I'm always looking into, uh, into that, but I, I haven't, I, I'm in one investment, but I haven't made a, a, I haven't found like someone syndicating it. So I'm always interested in where people find that. The last question I always ask is what is a great podcast that you listen to? So I really like Ed Milet's podcast. It's just a great inspirational one. He interviews lots of different really successful people, like a success podcast. I, I think it's just called the Ed Milet podcast. <laughs> I don't know the name of it, but it's a really good one. Not, and he's one of my go-tos that I'll listen to quite often. Awesome. I'll put that in the show notes. And then finally, um, if listeners want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. Best way is to go to my website, steadystreaminvestments.com. And right there on the front page, there's a free course called Passive Investing Made Easy. And it's a series of videos that will help you to really understand the process from A to Z. I've also mapped out a 10-year plan. So if you were to invest $50,000 every year for 10 years, what does that look like? And you'll be surprised by the results. They're pretty exciting. So definitely grab that course and then you'll start receiving all my education and you can always reply to any of those and it comes directly to my inbox and I'd be happy to connect with anybody. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Camilla. This has been a great episode and I really appreciate you being on with us. Thanks so much, Jim. It's been great. We would like to introduce one of our trusted partners, Ashcroft Capital, to the left field investors community. At Ashcroft, they focus on capital preservation while still having upside potential through their value-add funds. They are proud to announce their second fund, the Ashcroft Value-Add Fund 2, is now open to investors. The Ashcroft Value-Add Fund 2 has been created with one singular purpose in mind, to reduce risk to investors. The Ashcroft Value-Add Fund 2 will continue to use the same conservative business plan Ashcroft was founded with acquiring quality multifamily assets and offering value-add opportunity in strong performing markets throughout the country. 
To learn more about Ashcroft Capital's investment criteria or about the markets and properties they are targeting, please download their latest AVAF2 Frequently Asked Questions Guide at ashcroftcapital.com slash leftfield. That's ashcroftcapital.com slash leftfield. I really enjoyed my conversation today with Camilla. The way she talked about the small thinking and how that limited her. And then when she decided, hey, I don't need to think small, that allowed her to really expand and grow her business and her financial life. She did not want to trade time for money. And we hear that a lot. People talk about trading time for money. But the interesting change I think that she had was she realized that a promotion or the in order to earn more money, she would have to give more time. And she wasn't willing to do that. So she found a different way. She found something else to do that did not involve trading time for money and that you could make as much as you want to make in her new job as a uh, group investor syndicator. So I think that was great. And she took the jump out of her W-2 when she only had 70% covered. And that's also interesting, right? She had started the snowball, so she had confidence that the snowball would continue to roll down that hill and grow and grow as it does for most of us. And she also mentioned having a full year of cash in the bank. And a lot of people recommend that when you ditch the W-2, right? Have a bunch of cash in the bank. But a lot of people also say cash is trash. You can't have that cash. And what I think about all of that is you need to have as much cash as you need to have peace of mind. As she said, you know, she had a year's worth of cash that gave her peace of mind. If you're losing to inflation or whatever, that's fine if you can sleep at night because it is important to sleep at night. And if you're so concerned about your money that you can't sleep, then you need to make some adjustments. So peace of mind, that was critical. She also mentioned who cares most about your money, right? It's not your financial advisor. It's not your family. It's you. And if you're the one that cares the most about your money, you should care the most about managing it. And she does that through education. I love how she talked about all the stuff she does for kids for education. We tried a lot of that in my family and we were not consistent. The consistency is the hard part. It's easy to start a program. It's really hard to stay consistent, especially with your kids. So I really admire how she did that. And then purposeful investing. You know, she's investing for financial rewards, but also for social and environmental impact. And when I can find an operator that does both, that makes me money, but does it in a good way, I just love that. I think that's fantastic. And then a couple of pointers for how to find a sponsor or how to vet a sponsor. She talked about track record, making sure that they've you know, made some mistakes, but overcome them is one of the ways she finds out about that. And then communication, which is, yeah, that's key. That's one of my really important parts. And then how to find a sponsor. She uses meetups and podcasts. And the only thing I would add to that, of course, as I always do, is community, right? That's where it helps a community. And then the last thing, she didn't really say this specifically, but this is what I got out of it. Is she she didn't use the word problems when she was talking about anything difficult. She used the word challenges. And just changing that frame changes everything, right? Because if you see something as a problem, ugh, you have that feeling. But if you see it as a challenge, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. You're ready to go. So that really just struck me how she uses phrases, challenges. She doesn't like the word syndicator, so she uses group investing. And I love when people do that because it changes a little bit, but it changes a lot. So appreciate Camilla being here today. And that is all we have for you today in the left field.
Thanks for hanging out in left field with us today. If you're interested in becoming a left fielder, you can find us on the World Wide Web at www.leftfieldinvestors.com or you can send me an email, jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. Thank you for listening to the Passive Investing from Left Field podcast. If you enjoy the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and rate and review the show. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing said on the show should be considered financial advice. Before making any decisions, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Passive Investing from Left Field and Left Field Investors. Written permissions must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.